You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, church. Let's stay standing and continue to worship the Lord and just think of that thought right now that God is on the throne. No matter what the situation, no matter what the season of our life, no matter the difficulty that we face, He is on the throne right now. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is all-wise. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that can thwart His plans. And even in the hardest season, He is doing a work in us and through us that we wouldn't comprehend. So let's praise him for that right now. Heavenly Father, God, we come right now humbly before you, Lord. Just to pause and to take a moment to think of the fact that you are on the throne and to worship you because you are on the throne. Because you alone are holy, God. You alone are pure. You alone are perfect in every single way, God. You are righteous and you alone are righteous. But Father, you are also good and merciful and kind to us, God. You're gracious. You're loving towards us, God. God, we come to delight in you this morning. God, we come praying this morning that you would truly set our affections and our desires fully on you. God, would you lead us during this time to push everything else out of the way that is cluttering our thoughts and allow us to truly focus on you. And God, we praise you right now in this moment for the fact that You have given your son, Jesus Christ, into this world for us to be our salvation, to be our hope, to be everything to us, Lord. And God, we praise you that Christ, after he died on the cross, rose again and ascended into heaven. And we praise you that he will come again. And that is sure. And that is reality. And that will happen one day. And he will take us to be with him in glory for all of eternity. God, we look forward to that day. God, would you set our affection on the return of Jesus Christ when in that moment we will see him and we will be like him and we will be changed. Praise you, God. God, would you come and would you stir our hearts towards you right now, we pray through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat this morning, church. It's good to be with you and to be able to worship the Lord together today. Uh, My name is Brett Patterson, and I'm on staff here at Harvest Niagara, and I have the joy of uh, picking up in God's Word in 1 Thessalonians, where Pastor Darrell left off last week. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to just put your hand up. Our our, uh, ushers will come down the aisle. They would love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. Just put your hand up. Keep it up. It would be wonderful for you to follow along with us in your own copy of God's Word this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. And if you weren't with us last week, let me just kind of recap a little bit. Uh, Last week, we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the the end portion of 1 Thessalonians 4. And you'll notice that the subheading in in that portion is the coming of the Lord. And Pastor Darrell preached to us and taught us uh, about the coming of the Lord. And he taught us, you know, that, that Christ will return again. How awesome is that? And now that's not a, maybe a new thing for most of us to hear in church, but that's an awesome thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's a thing that can grow dull in our hearts, can it? Yes. 
We're going to be honest. I'm going to be honest this morning. You know, it's easy to walk through life without an anticipation for Christ's return, isn't it? You know, 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years since Christ walked this earth. It's easy to think, man, is it going to be another 2,000 years? Is it going to be another 1,000 years? It's very difficult to walk through life anticipating that his return could come in our lifetime. But I want you just to think about that this morning. Just press your mind down on that this morning. I don't know if his return is going to come in my lifetime. I don't know that. But what would it look like if I walked through life with that urgency, that expectancy, that Christ could return at any moment? How would that change my reality of day-to-day life? How would that change your day-to-day life? And so this morning, as we pick up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are going to start to dig into some of the really practical implications of what it means to live in the light of that day when Christ comes again. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, I just kind of want to touch on a couple things here for us. Um, it would be really nice, I think, I think we all kind of think this, it would be really nice if Paul would just lay it out like, boom, 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 this is going to be the order, this is exactly how it's all going to happen. Who thinks that would be kind of nice? I think that'd be nice. I, th- I think it'd, it'd be really nice if he just did that. But to be honest, I don't, I don't fully think that's exactly what he's going after here. We got to keep in mind here that this is a letter, okay, this is a letter written to a church of people like ours, a people who are struggling with the idea of Christ's return, and they're struggling with a few specific questions. And so when we approach this text today, instead of approaching it thinking, hey, Paul's just laying it out in order, boom, 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 he's actually laying it out, addressing their concerns as a congregation. He is approaching it from a pastoral perspective. Does that make sense to us? You know, these people are really wrestling with the fact that they have loved ones that have died. If you weren't here last week, then you, you missed that. But they have loved ones that have died, and, and they're thinking, well, they're not going to be alive for Christ's coming. Does that mean they're not going to go to heaven with me? And that's really burdening them. And he addresses that in chapter 4, and then he moves on in chapter 5 to address some other concerns that they have about the Lord's coming. And he gives us a lot of details about the Lord's coming, but he also gives us some really amazing practical implications for our lives. And we're going to focus in primarily on those this morning. And so as we dig into this this morning, I just want us to keep in mind a few things here, first of all, okay? Just a few basic things so that we're all on the same page as we dig into this text. And so the first thing is, is that First Thessalonians is a letter, as I mentioned, okay? And uh, keep in mind that there were no chapter breaks in the original, Okay, do we, do we get that? Okay, the numbers that we see in our Bible today are wonderfully helpful for us, but, but they don't have that in the original. It was a letter, okay? Nobody, nobody writes a letter and puts numbers in there. You're like, all right, this is my chapter three of my letter. Okay, so, so this would have flowed right through. Chapter four right into chapter five would have flowed really as one section, and it's good for us to view it that way. Second thing, Paul addresses in this passage the day of the Lord, The day of the Lord. Wow, that sounds like a big theme. Well, it is a big theme. Okay, it's a very big theme. It is such a big theme that it is picked up in the Old Testament over and over again. And it is the day, the day, when God will come to judge the world. He will come to set right everything that is wrong. And on that day, those who are against him, that's not going to be a good scene, But those who are for him, 
that's going to be a really awesome day, isn't it? And so, so Paul lays this out. He says, the day of the Lord. Now, the Thessalonian people would have been somewhat familiar with the teaching on the day of the Lord. They would have heard of the teaching from the, the prophets, and the prophets spoke often of the day of the Lord. And so Paul's going to lay down a few truths about the day of the Lord that they need to know, and we're going to see those this morning. And then third, in this section here that we're in today, Paul uses, and we, I'm just going to mention this because I don't want us to get confused here. Paul uses the term asleep or sleeping to speak of two different things, okay? So last week, Paul used the term asleep to mean what? Dead, dead, okay? Now, when we move into this section in chapter 5, he's kind of using it to talk about two different things. He uses it later in in this chapter of section 5 to refer to people being dead, but he uses it earlier to speak of people who are spiritually sleeping, Okay, so just just catch that as we get into the the word here this morning. That would cause a lot of confusion if you didn't recognize that. Wait a minute, okay, are they dead or are they physically alive but spiritually sleeping? So we'll work through that, but just keep that in mind, okay? Let's, Let's dig into this passage together. Let me just take a minute to read God's word and let's remember that this is this is God's word. It's worthy of our listening to, it's worthy of our reverence, and it's worthy of us to stand in awe of. Let's listen to the word of God this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, get this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I hope the word of God is encouraging to you this morning. Let's just take a moment and just pray right now and just thank God for his word and pray that he would lead us as we dig into it again this morning. Father, God, we thank you today for your word which is truth. We thank you for the encouragement that is here in this passage for us, that Christ our Lord has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. God, we pray this morning for the believer who knows you that they would be encouraged as they hear your word this morning. God, we pray this morning for anybody who is spiritually sleeping this morning that you would wake them up this morning, God. And God, we pray for those who don't know you this morning, that today would be the day, Lord, that you call them out of darkness into your marvelous light to see the glory of Jesus Christ for the first time and surrender their life to him. God, only you can do these things, but we pray that you would do them through your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning, we're basically just going to break down three things that we're going to see from this passage and three things that really pertain to living in light of Christ's return. Here's the first one right here, and they'll be up on the screen if you want to write them down. Living in light of Christ's return leads me to have confidence 
in God's sovereign plan and timing. Okay, do we see that right here in the text? Okay, living in light of Christ's return allows me to have confidence in God's plan and timing. Okay, check this out right here in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Okay, so, so Paul says this. He says, hey guys, listen, listen. You don't need to know the exact day and the exact hour of Christ's return. Don't get hung up on that. Don't start wondering, don't try to dig into mysterious Bible codes to try and figure out the exact moment of Christ's return. That is not going to be helpful to you. So Paul really doesn't spend a lot of time addressing that. He kind of just hits that off the top. And then he gets into the stuff that is going to be really, really helpful to the Thessalonian people. He gets into the things that are going to be really helpful for us as we live in light of Christ's return so let me just lay down a couple things right here about this passage, okay? Here's a few things right here, okay, that we need to remember. We need to remember this about Christ's return. Christ's return will be these things. Okay, three things coming up on the screen here quickly. First of all, Christ's return will be unexpected. We heard that last week, and we hear that again right here in this passage, that it's going to be unexpected. People are not going to expect Christ to return when he does return, Notice Paul uses two illustrations here to help us get this, okay? The first one he uses is of a thief that breaks into a house in the night when everybody is asleep, okay? And so a thief breaks into the house uh, at night when everyone's asleep, when everybody is unsuspecting, right? Okay, we, we know that if you were expecting a thief to break in, you wouldn't be sleeping. You'd be awake. You'd be ready to go, right? So, okay, the thief, it's, it's unexpected. But then the second one that he uses, and kind of, you know, two illustrations just to, to make sure they get it, okay? Don't miss this, he's saying right here, of a woman with labor pains. From what I understand, apparently labor pains come on pretty quickly sometimes. I have no practical experience in that area whatsoever, okay? I don't even have a really awesome pastor story to tell you right now, but when my wife had that experience and we had to like drive to the hospital because we adopted our kids and so we just went and picked them up, but um, there was kind of some labor pains there in a way. It was like, I'm gonna be a dad tomorrow. I'm not ready for this, but that, I think that's quite different, okay? Um, but anyway, labor pains, they come upon quickly and boom, the baby's coming. We got to get to the hospital, okay? So it's going to be unexpected. It'll be at a time that we're not exactly expecting it. The reason that I would also say that is we see that, and we see that out of this text, that it's actually at a time when people are saying there's going to be peace and security. So, so it's, almost like, it's almost like there's this turmoil and then everybody's like, oh, it's going to get better. Yeah, this new, this new president, he's going to be amazing, or this new prime minister, there's going to be peace and security. Boom, Jesus comes back. You're just like, I was not expecting that, okay? That's the point here. It's, it's going to be unexpected. Okay, but then also this. It's going to be undeniable. It's going to be undeniable. Nobody's going to be standing around, scratching their heads, saying, was that Jesus that came back? Or wasn't it? I'm not entirely sure. You know, I think this is really important. It seems almost silly, but it's really important because there is a section of Christianity, not even a fringe section, that does teach that Jesus came back at the destruction of the temple in AD 55 or 56, but that doesn't seem to square with what he's saying here because, because a, lot of the, there were, a lot of the world was like, wait a minute, was it him, wasn't it him? 
I think this right here just tells us it's going to be undeniable. You know, if you're, if you're not sure about that, just go back to what Daryl preached last week, the trumpet, okay, with the cry of an archangel. Like, you're not going to miss that, okay? You're not going to stand there saying, was it really Jesus that came back or not? I'm not positive, okay? It's going to be undeniable. Listen, when a thief breaks into your house, you don't walk down to get coffee in the morning and are like, I think there might have been a thief here last night, but I'm really not sure. If anybody's had that experience, that's strange, okay? When a thief breaks into your house, you know, okay? Boom, okay? You can't, you're not going to miss that. But then also this, and this is really important for us. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. That is really good news for the believer in Jesus Christ. It's unavoidable. It's undeniable. I'm not, I'm not going to miss it. It's unavoidable. It's coming, that's for sure. It's really hard news for the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ because you can't opt out of this one. It's not like, well, I did well enough in the class so I can now opt out of the exam. It doesn't work like that, okay? It's, it's not like, well, maybe I just won't be there that day or I'll hide somewhere really good. That won't work, okay? This is not just some person that's coming. This is God, God's son, Jesus Christ, who is coming to set things straight in the world. It is unavoidable. And we see that right here in verse, the end of verse three. It says, they will not escape. That's a pretty important statement. Look at what it says right there in verse three. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as, the labor, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's unavoidable. Christ's return is unavoidable. We need to remember these things, okay? First of all, it's unexpected. We're not, we're not gonna anticipate it exactly when he comes, okay? It's gonna be undeniable. We are going to know it. We're not gonna miss it. The Thessalonians were kind of struggling with this idea of like, did we somehow miss the day of the Lord? Did, did maybe it happen somewhere else and you know, we didn't get the news there? That's kind of their, their struggle in this portion of the text. Think back to chapter four. <clears throat> They're wrestling with, the thought that maybe people that have died in Christ wouldn't be raised, okay, or that they would miss out on the resurrection, and that here they're struggling with the question of like, well, did we somehow miss the day of the Lord? Okay, it's, it's undeniable, and it's unavoidable. These are just things that we need to keep in mind, okay? Those are really important things for us to know. There's some practical implication there, but I think that there's a lot more practical implication with where we're going right now. Okay, and so let's, let's move forward. Let's move into the second part of this passage. And here's point number two coming out of verses five through eight in this passage. Living in light of Christ's return leads me to have clarity for living out my purpose as a believer. This is where we want to camp today, okay? This is what's going to be most important today. Living in light of Christ's return gives me clarity for what it means to live as a believer, Listen, I don't need to get hung up on the times and the seasons and when Christ is going to return, the exact day, the exact timing. I don't need to get hung up on that stuff if I'm living with urgency today, if I'm living in light of Christ's return today, because when he comes back, I'm going to be ready. So that is so important for us today. And Paul gives not just advice here, okay? Paul gives direction, instruction from the Lord here for the people of Thessalonica and also for us today. And so let's just kind of dig into this a little bit. Let me read these verses again so that we don't miss it. Verses five through eight. He says this, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Okay, he's talking about spiritual sleep right there. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. All right, three basic Basic truths that we need to keep in mind here for living out Christ's purposes in our lives, for living in light of Christ's return. Okay, here we go. Three basic truths. These are basic, but there's so much application for us. Okay, there's so much truth to be pressed into, to be lived every day. And so let's walk through them. We're going to take our time going through them. They're coming right out of the passage here. And I'll try to help you make that connection so that you see that this is coming from God's word and not just from me. And so here's the first one. Here's the first one. Three basic principles, three basic truths for purposeful living in light of Christ's return. Number one, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of light. That's really big. Do you understand that? We got to get, we got to understand this, okay? Before you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you were a child of darkness. I'm not saying this to insult you, but this is the truth. This is what the Bible says. Before you, were, before you and I were believers in Christ, we were children of darkness. Our spiritual parent was not God. Yes, we were created okay, by God, but our spiritual dad was the devil. That's what the Bible teaches. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's not an insult today. That is the truth of, of who you are spiritually, where your allegiance lies spiritually. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a child of light. Your spiritual parent is God. Okay, let's not get mixed up. Let's not say, well, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not for God and I'm not really against God. I'm not for the devil. I'm just kind of neutral. Okay? There are no neutral people in this world, okay? The reality is either you are for Jesus Christ, okay? You are for God, you are his child, or you're not his child. Those are the only two realities, and so we need to get this this morning. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know this morning that you are a child of light. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus, Just think for a second about all of the spiritual imagery that is actually put into this point right here, Okay? Think about it for a second. Paul mentions in Corinthians that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. That's an awesome thing. Okay, he mentions in 2 Corinthians that the same God who said, let light shine into the darkness has shone into our hearts. That same miracle of creation has made us a new creation in Christ. John 3, Jesus says that you need to be born again. What happens when you're born again? You become a believer, yes, but you're a new person. Do we get that? That's the imagery right there. When Jesus says, be born again, he's saying, hey, you gotta have a new start here. And it's not just, I'm gonna get up and brush myself off and try harder. This is, you're now born of God. You have a new spiritual parent. That's awesome. We're children of light. We're not children of darkness. Listen, there's so much application here for us. We could just, we could dwell on this point and just unpack it. For so long, if you're a child of light, why do you still lean towards the darkness at times? Why do you still pursue things that are not of the light? Why do I still run after things that are not fitting for a child of the light? Listen, 
Let's walk in the light. Let's live in the light, okay? We are children of light. We need to remember that. We need to remember daily, every moment of every day, that we are not of Satan's kingdom anymore. We are now of God's kingdom. We are his children, and as his children, we have the great joy and the great privilege of walking in the light every single day. I want us just to think about this for a second, okay? Like I said, we're going to spend a bit of time on these points right here because this is so important for us. I want you to think right now about Christ's return. We've already said Christ is coming back. You, you can't opt out of it. You can't miss out on that day. He is coming back. That is an awesome, awesome thing. But listen, Christ's return is a strong motivator towards holy living, isn't it? It's a strong motivator towards walking in purity. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have uh, this evangelist that would come to our church, and he was, he was an older guy. His name was Uncle Dave, okay? And Uncle Dave had a booming voice, and uh, as a kid, um, there were some really cool things about Uncle Dave. He also had this flannel graph thing, and I know you're like, that's old school, that's lame. But he had this thing called a blacklight, and he would tell the whole story, and it was amazing, and then he turned the blacklight on, and something would appear out of nowhere. And it was like, wow. But the best thing about Uncle Dave was that he had a prize table with like pocket knives and stuff on it, and you could, you could you know, memorize verses and earn stuff. Well, second best thing about Uncle Dave, okay? That was really cool. But the best thing about Uncle Dave was that he would preach the gospel to us. And he preached the gospel to us in a way that we could understand, in a way that would grip our hearts. And I remember when he came when I was a kid, and I remember, I was like, whoa, he preached on Jesus coming back and, and what that would be like. And I just remember, honestly, I was terrified but in a, in a good way. But man, that made me start to take stock of some stuff in my life, okay? And, and I understand that the fear is not necessarily the best motivator, but it is kind of an important motivator, right? It's not the best one. We should all love Jesus and delight in him and just, you know, we shouldn't need anything more than that, right? And that, that's true. That is the best motivator. Love is the best motivator. But the reality is our hearts are broken, aren't they? And sometimes we need a good wake-up call. Sometimes we need a little bit of fear to be like, whoa, let's get on with this. Okay, something's got to shift here. Listen, fear can be a good motivator too. If you're in the woods, you're picking blueberries, and all of a sudden there's a great big black rock that starts moving towards you very quickly, you're going to run and you're going to ditch the blueberries. That's a bear, and that fear is a good motivator because it might just save your life, okay? So fear can be a good motivator too, and there should be a little bit of fear here in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. We need to be ready for that day. We need to live in light of that day. We need to remember the fact that we are a new creation. We don't operate in the old ways of the flesh anymore. We don't need to. There should be an urgency with that in our lives, I think sometimes, to be honest, you know, we, we forget the fact that we're a new creation, don't we? We forget the fact that we are now children of light. I think of, you know, when I moved from Port Colborne to Welland, okay, at the end of the 406, there's this roundabout thing, and at, you hit the roundabout, and you go one way to get to Port Colborne, and you go another way to get to Welland, and we lived just up from the roundabout in Welland at that time, and I'd be driving down, you know, daydreaming, listening to an audiobook or doing something, right? And I would get into that roundabout and I was that annoying person that would circle that thing. Like, you know, you know those people that pull in and you're like, what are they doing? They just went around once already. And I would start on my way to Port Colburn and I would realize halfway through, I don't live there anymore. I got to go a different way. Isn't that like us in our spiritual walk though? That so often we get running down the road 
of the flesh, and we get running after things, and then you're like, whoa, this is not me anymore. This is not who God has called me and created me to be. Listen, go around the roundabout. If people look at you funny, that's okay. Make sure you have your signal on, all right? Go around and get on the right road, walking towards Jesus Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. That is an awesome thing. That is an awesome thing. There's a lot of application there for us. But listen, that's not the only thing that we see here in this passage. Here's the next thing. Listen, church, there is no time, there is no time in our lives for spiritual siestas. Rest is good. Rest is important. Resting in Jesus Christ, having a physical rest on a Sunday afternoon is a blessed thing from the Lord, I believe. Okay, if you can get away with that this afternoon, if your kids will let you, go for it. Okay, that's a wonderful thing. Okay, but listen, there is no time for spiritual siestas. There is no time just to be like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of go to sleep as a Christian for a bit. And you know what happens if you go to sleep as a Christian? You get lulled into all the lies of the world and the enemy and sin, and you find that your faith is not stronger, but your faith is weaker and crumbling. That's what happens when you're lulled to sleep as a Christian. Notice what it says in verses 6 through 7. So let us not sleep as others do. He's talking about spiritual sleep here in this passage. But let us keep awake and be sober For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Now, Paul is using an illustration here about drunkenness, okay? We all know that drunkenness is wrong, but he's using that as an illustration to teach us here in this passage that, you know, when people want to do wicked things, they're going to do it at night. And when people also want to sleep, they're going to sleep at night. He says, don't be spiritually asleep. Don't be spiritually drunk, meaning, you know, intoxicated and lacking senses, okay? But be sober, it's not just a warning of avoid the booze, okay? He's, he's actually saying be sober-minded. Think about things clearly, okay? Have right thoughts. Think about your life biblically and be ready. Be ready to live for Jesus Christ every single day. I love the parallel here in this passage between uh, 1 Thessalonians and Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. It says this. Catch the parallel. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Interesting. Paul's talking about light there in Ephesians, okay? He says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, here it is, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Did we get that verse? Wake up! Wake up! Wake up from your spiritual slumber. Now, here's the reality. It is possible for us this morning, and I don't say this lightly, it is possible, very possible, to attend church all your life, to serve the Lord, to serve others. It is possible to carry your Bible on Sunday morning. It is possible to go to small group. It is possible to listen to WDCX every day on your drive to work to pray with your kids and to pray with your family, it is possible to do all of those things yet never have your heart truly love Christ and believe in him. That might seem impossible to you, but it's possible. It is possible to be assimilated into the church without actually being part of the bride of Jesus Christ. It is possible 
to be part of the visible church that is present on a Sunday morning, but not part of the invisible church that is seated in glory with Jesus Christ. It's possible, in other words, to do all of those things and to still be asleep in your seat. I'm not talking about physical sleep right now. I'm not talking about your neighbor who's nodding off beside you. If they are, just give them a good elbow, okay? A firm one and tell them they're loved. Listen up, okay? <laughs> it, that's poss- it, it's possible. It's possible to be all of those things. God forbid that that would be any of us, that we would be so assimilated at going through the motions, at playing church, at playing all of these things. Am I saying that it's a bad thing to bring your Bible on Sunday morning, a bad thing to serve, a bad thing to be in a small group, a bad thing to listen to Christian radio? No, not at all. But it's possible to do all those things and not have your heart fully devoted to the living God and to miss out on eternity. How tragic is that? How tragic is that in our culture today that there is a number of churches where people believe that they are going to heaven, yet they've never even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, let alone received it. It's tragic. It's tragic. How tragic is it today that people would sit in a service like this and think that if they just come to church, if they just do these things, then God will be pleased with them and that'll be enough and that will get them into heaven and to miss out on the fact that all of those things are nothing in God's sight whatsoever, that the only thing that is anything is that you put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and rely fully on him for your salvation. And so if you're here today, And you're sitting in your seat wondering, man, am I really awake to the Lord? I can't answer that question for you. That's a great question to ask God. That's a great question. Just bow your head right now. Okay, if somebody bows their head right now, don't elbow them, okay? Just pray to the Lord right now if if you're not sure about that. God, would you just show me? Would you just show me if I'm not awake to you yet? A couple signs that if you're not awake to the Lord, first sign, There's no hatred in your heart against sin. You can kind of just do it and you're like, I know it's wrong, but like, it feels all right for me. I I know I shouldn't, but kind of just wishy-washy on it. You know, if you love Jesus, that's one of the things that God does in your heart when you receive Christ. He gives you a new love and a new affection for Jesus Christ. And that produces a hatred towards sin. That's the first thing, okay? But for that hatred towards your own sin... You're like, oh, I hate my husband's sin. Good, it's not about your husband or your wife right now. It's about you. This is between you and the Lord, okay? Okay, between you and the Lord right now is our hatred towards sin. But more than that hatred towards sin, is there a love and a desire and affection for Jesus Christ? Is, is there this thought in your heart of like, I honestly don't care that much about heaven if Jesus isn't going to be there. But if Jesus is going to be there, I want to be there right away. I just, I I want to be with Christ. I long for Christ more than anything else. Listen, that can grow dull in all of us. We need to ask the Lord to revive that over and over again. But if you've never experienced that, if you've never had an intense longing for Jesus Christ, a desire to be more like him, just overwhelmed by the fact of your own spiritual neediness, it is possible, it is possible that you've been assimilated into the church, that you've become part of the visible church, but you've never actually fully put your faith and trust in Christ and repented of your sin. That's where it starts. It starts with the new birth. Only God can do that in you. You need to turn from your sin. You need to repent of it. Do you realize that your sin is not just the bad stuff that you do, think, or say? 
but it is actually part of your nature and my nature as a sinner that is against God, contrary to him. And that's why repentance is so important. We need to say, God, don't just forgive me for my sin, but turn me, God. Turn me. Make me go in a different direction. God, give me a new heart. It's another thing that happens when you believe in Christ. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new affections, new desires, new delights. Not perfectly in one instance, but they're moving in the right direction. Okay, these are awesome things. Listen to Ephesians 5, uh, 13 through 15 again. Let's just focus in on this part. Awake, O sleeper. There's the call. Awake, O sleeper. Wake up from your slumber and arise from the dead. And listen to this. Here's the promise. And Christ will shine on you. And he will shine on you. Wake up spiritually and he will shine on you in his grace, in his goodness, in his mercy. And then he says this, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We need to wake up spiritually and if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ at all, Maybe you're not even assimilated into the church or anything, and maybe this is just a brand new experience for you, and you're like, whoa, this is a lot. Well, it is a lot. I get that. But you know what? This morning is a wake-up call. It's kind of a lot when you're in a dead sleep, and your alarm clock goes off, and you forgot to turn the volume down on it, and you keep it really close to the bed. Okay, that is a lot, okay? And that shocks you, and it rattles you. But at least you wake up on time, okay? And and here's the reality. If you're here and this is a lot, you know, this is a great place to ask a question. You know, just to maybe the person that you came with, whoever else, just, you know, what was that all about this morning? What does that actually mean to be spiritually awake? Okay, listen. Here's where it starts. It starts with knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. It doesn't start with being a better person. It doesn't start with carrying your Bible. It doesn't start with, you know, religious actions. It starts with humility of getting low before your God and just saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace in my life. I need you to forgive me, cleanse me, change me, save me. That's where it starts, right there. But listen, for the believers that are here, we've got to realize this. Here's the third thing, right here. We've got to get this. Subpoint number three. Okay, basic truths for purposeful living in light of Christ's return. Subpoint number three. Life is war. Life is war. It is a spiritual war. Our lives in Christ okay, are not comfortable, they're a spiritual war, and we need to put on the battle gear every day or we're going to get rocked. That's just the reality. You're like, where is that in this passage? It's right here in the passage. Look, look down with me, okay? Paul, as he's talking about this, okay, he says that they're all children of light, verse 5, that they're not part of the darkness anymore. He says, don't sleep, okay, and he goes on and he says, that we need to be sober, and then look at verse 8, okay? Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And then here it is, right here. Okay, where's the battle gear? Right here. Having put on the breastplate of faith. Okay, the breastplate is something that would clothe a soldier to protect them, to protect their vitals. So having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need to wear the battle gear. This is a great place for us to be referred over to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're like, what is the battle gear? Go check it out later today. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us all about the battle gear, okay? We need to put it on. And so here, 
Paul is kind of giving in short form, hey, here's some of the battle gear you've got to have on. You've got to be ready. You've got to remember that your life as a believer in Jesus Christ is a life of warfare. We're not warring against other people. We're not warring against other nations. We're not warring against the political systems in our country, okay? We fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. We are engaged in a battle every single day. Darkness versus light. You are part of the light now. You're on the army that is for the light of Christ Jesus. It is a battle. Life is war. I don't know how else to say that. I love that John Piper just makes this abundantly clear in several of his books. Um, But here's a little statement, a little quote from him. and It's short and it's powerful though. He says this. Life is war. He says that's not all it is, but it is always that. Anyone here, if we're just honest, ever want a season in life where it's not war? I'm going to put both my hands up on that one. I really want a season that's not war. Okay, I really, really, really want that. It's called heaven. Okay, we don't war when we get to heaven. We worship, okay? But right now, it's war. We get tired in warfare. We get tired in the battle. We get worn down in the battle. That's why we invite brothers and sisters to come around us, to pray for us, to care for us, to help us. I, just like you, want seasons that aren't warfare, that aren't battle, but that doesn't mean that we should go to spiritual sleep. We need to anticipate Christ's return, live in light of his return, Okay? We need to stay engaged in the battle and we need to ask our brothers and sisters for support and we need to pray for one another. Piper goes on in, in this quote to talk about the fact that we forget that life is war is one of the primary reasons why we lack in prayer. He goes on to say that you know, prayer is like a spiritual walkie-talkie that really we, we use that to connect with our general, with our Father God. And if, if we understood that life was war... If we really got that, man, we would be people of prayer, wouldn't we? If there was that urgency of this life is warfare, it's not peacetime, man, we would be quick to pray, wouldn't we? We would submit everything to the Lord. Think about that implication even for, you know, the fact that, you know, if you remember that life is war, how much more time would you spend in God's word? If you remember that life is war, how much more time would you diligently be watchful and resist temptation? Would you guard yourself? Would you live differently? I I think if I remember this every day, I would live radically differently than I do right now, just to be honest with you. So this is convicting to me as I was studying this, and I was like, whoa, man, can't even escape the fact that life is war here in this passage. Put on the breastplate of faith. Faith guards us, and love, the love of Christ protects us. And then above all, right here, a helmet, helmet for your head, the helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, there's so many implications right here in this passage. Let me just hit just a couple of them real quickly to kind of summarize where we've been. Okay, just a couple really important implications for us that we can't miss today. And then we'll catch point number three quickly, okay? Implication number one, Jesus is really coming back. Okay, in case you haven't got that already in this message, let me just say it again right now. Okay, in case you missed that somehow, he is really coming back. This is for real. 
It's not a test. It's not pretend. It's not make-believe. It is real. It is an appointed day when Jesus Christ will return to this world where he will bring judgment, but he will also bring salvation to all who believe in him. Judgment for the lost, judgment for those who reject him, salvation for those who trust him as Lord and Savior. That is a reality. Man, we see this all over the Bible. One of the places that I love reading it, I just looked at it last night. It's in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are there when Jesus ascends into heaven, okay? They're standing there and they're, they kind of got like, they're just shell-shocked, like total deer in the headlights, like, whoa, he just went up, like, and he's gone. He didn't fall back, like, I don't understand, right? They're just, they're shocked, right? And they're standing there, just all of them looking up into the heavens, and all of a sudden there's these two angels. It says men clothed in white, okay? We're supposed to understand they're angels. And these two angels stand there, and they say this. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? Like, guys, what are you doing? He, he told you so many times he was going to go. You didn't really listen, okay? So men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him go into the heavens. Now get going. Go. Go do the mission. Go live out the mission that he's given you because he's going to come back the same way. That's awesome. He's actually coming back. He's really coming back. Praise God for that. That is amazing. Wow. Here's the second thing that we got to catch real quick. I want you to think right now in light of Christ's return, I want you to just ask the question in your own life. What is your biggest struggle in life right now? What's the hardest thing in life right now? What is the hardest thing that you're walking through? What is the thing that is just that looming weight that is on you, that you shake it for a moment, but then it's just back? What is that right now? I don't want to make light of that. You know, there's, there's heavy things in this room. There's big things. And, you know, honestly, if I shared my biggest thing right now, it would probably be something to be laughed at compared to some of the things that people are walking through in here right now at this time. But I just want to say this in love. In light of Christ's return, in light of his return, in light of him coming back, when he does come back, and you've been, you know, with him in glory for, I don't know, say... Five million years. How much will you be struggling with that then? That should be encouraging to you. That should be like, you know what? This is a battle right now. This is hard right now. These things that I'm carrying right now, they feel like they're never going to end. But you know, a biblical perspective is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that these are light and momentary afflictions. They don't feel light and momentary, but in light of eternity, in light of the fact that, you know, five million years from now, when you've been with Jesus for five million years, that you're going to look at these things and you're going to be like, yeah, it was light and momentary. Yeah, it was hard then, but like, wow, this is awesome. Okay, we are going to have a radically different perspective at that point. I don't say that to make light of the things that we're struggling through, but I say that with the intention of set your sights on eternity and get the strength that the Lord gives right now in this time. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. In light of Christ's return, in light of the fact that he could come at any time, what is there that needs to shift? What is there that needs to change in your life right now? I'll just leave that question. 
You know, this is not something that we can just kind of, you know, brush through and say, yeah, Jesus is coming back. We need, to, we need to say, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Okay, that means that I need to then live with urgency in this area. That means that I need to realign my priorities in this area. What is there in your life right now that needs to shift in light of Christ's return? Today, are you fully awake to Jesus Christ? If you are, then you know what? There's some serious encouragement here in these next couple of verses for you. But if you're not, there's a serious wake-up call this morning. The fact that Christ could return at any moment, we want to be ready for that. Okay, we want to be ready for his return. Here's the last thing that we need to see, and we'll close with this. Point number three in the message this morning, living in light of Christ's return leads me to have comfort through trusting Christ for my salvation. It leads me to have great comfort for trusting, through trusting Christ for my salvation. I want you to notice what it says in verses 9 through 11. It says this. This is written to believers. It's written to those who trust in Jesus. He says this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. That's eternal life, okay? He's talking about awake or asleep, that's physical living or physical dying, and he says that we might live with him, that's eternal life, and then he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Listen, church, it's not easy to say this, but it is true, and it's important to say this. God's wrath is coming on this world. It is. That's just what the Bible teaches over and over again. I didn't make that up. God is the one who said that. It's reality. His wrath is coming. There is a day coming when he will pour out his wrath on everyone who does not trust him, who does not believe in him, who actively wars against him is actually what we see in the book of Revelation. All sin is either going to be dealt with at the cross or on that judgment day. Do we understand that? Our sin is either dealt with at the cross in Jesus Christ through faith in him or it's going to be accounted to us on the day when he comes to judge. And so here's the reality this morning. Here's the reality. We need to be prepared for this. We need to be ready for this. We need to know okay, that Jesus Christ is coming again, that there is judgment coming upon this world. That's not a popular message today, but it's the truth. We also need to know that nobody gets a free pass, that only those who trust him as Lord and Savior will be saved. That's it. You're like, I can't imagine Jesus judging anyone. He didn't judge anyone in the Bible. I just really encourage you to go back and read of Jesus's earthly ministry again, okay? There are times when he delays judgment Okay? There are times where he extends grace, but there are also times when he says, hey, I'm extending grace right now, but there is a day of judgment coming. It will be coming. It will come. Right? There's, there's times like that we need to take him seriously. He is not joking. And he is calling us, if we don't know him as Lord and Savior, he is calling us. He is inviting us. The invitation is open today. It's wide open today. He is inviting you if you don't know him as Lord. This is not some club for people who've attended church all their life. This is the offer of salvation by grace in Christ. It's a free gift. And he is calling you today. He's inviting you today. And he's saying, come, 
The offer is still wide open. Come to me, put your faith in me, trust in me, and receive the grace that I offer you. Receive the forgiveness that I offer you today. But to do that, you need to humble yourself. You need to confess the fact that you are not good enough in yourself for God. That he is holy and pure in every single way, and we are not. And you need to receive his grace into your life. Listen, if you're here today, and you've never received Christ Jesus as your Savior, today's the day. The Bible says over and over again in the book of Hebrews today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We don't know. We don't know when he's coming. We have no idea. He hasn't given us that detail. But you don't know. This could be the last day that you have an opportunity to respond. And so if that's you today, if you don't know Christ Jesus as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you bow your knee and you put your faith and trust in him and him alone. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior and you're just like, I think I'm slumbering a little bit right now. Today's a wake-up call. Today, it's the alarm clock going off right by your ear. Boom, wake up. He could come at any moment. You want to be ready. You want to be living for his glory in every single way today. And today, if you're here and you're going all in for Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you. Don't get worn out on the battlefield. Get brothers and sisters around you. Get others to pray for you. Keep going. It's a battle. It's war. There's hard seasons, but the Lord is gracious. Don't become weary of well-doing. It is so easy, so easy to get there. I think of so many different times in my life and times recently where I've grown weary in well-doing. Just come before the Lord. Ask him to give you strength. Come to others. Get them to pray for you. If you're in that place right now and you've been going hard after the Lord, and you're, you're, you're just tired. There's no sin in that. Just even after the service, come up and allow one of our leaders to pray with you. Grab somebody near you in your seat. Ask them to pray with you. And allow God's grace to flow into your life in that moment as somebody else leads you before the throne of grace. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ is coming again. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. Let's praise him right now. Let's pray. Lord, We eagerly look forward to the day when you will return again. God, with great anticipation, we look forward to the day when the trumpet sounds and Christ Jesus is here and we see him. And in that moment, we are changed and we are made like him. The struggles and the suffering and the sin of our lives is is washed away in that moment. Oh, we look forward to that day. God, we long for that day. We desire that day. But in this present moment that we are in right now, sure, that could be later today. But in this moment that we're in right now, that is not our reality, God. So God, would you help us to live faithfully right now in this time for your glory with urgency, expecting Christ's return, ready, ready for him when he comes. We pray this in your name. Amen.